Nikki Honesser is a Dutch designer and co-founder of Amsterdam-based graphic interaction and motion design studio Tonic. Today, she joins Susie Anetta on the line for a conversation about finding her visual voice, the challenges and joys of designing for a global roster of clients, and the value of trust in the creative process. This is the Design Dialogues. Thanks, Nikki, so much for making time to be on the podcast today. It's um, it's great to be on the line with you. So I thought that I might start at the very beginning and ask you, you know, before your career, maybe what age you were or when you knew what you wanted to study and perhaps when you knew what career path you wanted to follow. That's I think that's always very difficult when you are 18. <laughs> You're, um, I guess I, a path is always difficult to look, you know, uh, so long ahead but um, I think I was always interested in in art art history and I love to draw um, and uh, when I was 18 I went to um, uh, Chambre d'Amis which was a, an exhibition a huge outdoor exhibition in Ghent in Belgium made by Jan Hood he was a very famous um, famous museum director and curator and when I got there, I, I went with my friend um, from high school. So we were still in high school or maybe just finished. I, I don't remember exactly. But walking around the city in Ghent, it felt so... It was an outdoor exhibition. It was one of the first in the world. Normally, it was always in museums and white walls, but this was outside. And we, we walked there in the city. Um, and we, from student rooms to uh, psychoanalysts, consulting houses and churches and all those places where art was displayed and it were, were big names. I didn't know them in that time, but I was so impressed by the energy. And, and I felt that I wanted to be part of that somehow. I don't know. It was, a, it was art, you know, it was art in society somehow. And I slightly remember but I'm not sure that I thought, oh, I wish I saw this huge sign somewhere like Chambre d'Amis and the catalogue, of course. And I was thinking, oh, I, I wish I could make that book or things like that. You know, I didn't want to be an artist I'd, or not at that time. I, I was not sort of thinking of that position, but I was just intrigued by the, the, the environment. You know, like, like I do think that when you go to um, making choices as, an, uh, as a teenager or then you really go into your intuition and you feel what's, what, what suits you by being in the environment, not even uh, the program, you know, or the courses uh, people uh, give to you. It's it's you feel if it if it suits you or if it if it's right for your sort of yeah I don't know. So um, so that was I think the start from so after so I went to art school after that. So first no after high school I did a gap year where I took um, lots of courses in the field of art uh, from silkscreen painting, photography, drawing, also sculpture, 
and that I, I love that. So from there I went to art school and, um, and that was amazing. I think the first year was amazing. I loved it. So we had, um, we had to unlearn what we learned so far in life. You know, it was a sort of a therapy, uh, year and, um, yeah, the world upside down and it was great. I have good, uh, good feeling still when I look back at it. And then I had to make an, a decision what to do in art school because the first year was a sort of a general year with, you know, touching on every subject, on every course. And then I had to make a decision if I wanted to do fine arts or graphic design, for instance, but I didn't really know what that was at the time. And so I think free art was, or fine art was a bit too free for me. And I felt that I was so curious but about many things around me, but I didn't have the feeling that people would, would be interested in what I had to say somehow. I felt too, I, I didn't felt that urge to come with my own story to the outside world. So, it, so I decided to go to graphic design, but then after a while I was also sort of, um, um, uh, yeah, doubting if that was, you know, was all those uh, millimeters and ge geometrical shapes and things like that. And then one teacher said to me, you, you don't know, it, it doesn't matter what you do. You can, you can fill it in your way, everything, every, each assignment, job or commission, how tightly defined you can fill in your own way. And that gave me a sort of relief. And I started to paint, paint record sleeves while listening on music. I was very much into the, to the, the, the English pop scene that time and, and very inspired by record sleeves from Peter Seville and Malcolm Garrett from London. And uh, so that, that's the, the direction I took. Mm. Yeah, that's such a great answer. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I was sort of looking for freedom and restriction at the same time. So mm. the f I found the freedom because that's what that teacher said to me, you can do whatever you like in graphic design, don't worry. And that that gave me so much confidence. And I think that's what what we did throughout, you know, just don't think you you are locked up in something just if you feel uh, trapped or locked up in in something just find your freedom again and uh, and the restriction is also good because when it's too free it was also for me you know where do i have to start i don't know yeah i think that word freedom actually leads me quite nicely to my next question i want to ask you about being based in the netherlands so i, I read or i believe that you studied in utrecht if i'm pronouncing that correctly yeah. and that you're based yeah. now in amsterdam you know i think the netherlands has an um you know, I think people from the outside view the, the Netherlands as a country that's, you know, obviously quite democratic, it's open, it seems inclusive. And I wonder whether the, all of those aspects of your culture and society there, do you feel that that actually is in a way more conducive to freedom and maybe creativity? Do you think you could do what you do if you were living somewhere else? Independence and individu individual uh, sense is in the character of the Dutch. Um, so they, they used to live on small islands, but they also had to collaborate because they had to conquer the water. And um, so 
that's in their DNA, but they, they are also very flat in politics and they don't accept authority and hierarchy. And, and, and that's, uh, I always felt that was a good thing because we are very, you know, straightforward and direct, direct. But also when I'm in Asia, I also feel that compared to other cultures, the Dutch are very, you know, not refined, not so polite. And uh, so it's, it's a matter how you look at it. Um, I don't think it, it's more open to creativity in that sense. I mean, every culture has its rich heritage and, um, and there's always creativity. And, and I learned so much and I can be so happy to, to soak up the culture and, and the creativity of other cultures. So no, I don't think that the, the free attitude uh, is, is sort of conductive to creativity. I don't know, but, but maybe the, the Dutch, they like to put forward things and they like to undertake action. And um, yeah, they're maybe sort of uh, reluctant to take things for granted or they start addressing things or issue, issues quite quickly. And, uh, but we also have to work on that open society. You know, there's a lot of uh, polarization going on also in the Netherlands. So, mm. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is very hard to know when you've only grown up in one place. I'm just yeah curious to hear your thoughts, but I think that's a great answer. Yeah, but 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 I I must say I I am from '67, so I grew up in the '60s, '70s, and '80s in Amsterdam, and mm. at that time the punk movement and the squatters' riots uh, they dominated the streets, so that was very present. And I've always been, you know, as a child, I was not a punk and I was not that outspoken, but as a child, I've always felt very privileged to grow up in that spirit, you know, to, to be part of that sort of radical um, liberty and freedom. And, uh, and that's why I also felt so good when I was in, in that exhibition, for instance. So I, I, I always wanted to, I looked that up somehow. And, and uh, yeah, so, in that sense, I always felt that when I was in the Vondel Park, for instance, in Amsterdam, uh, you could feel all those cultures and diversity and, and, and that never really changed. That's, that is still the case. And later when I traveled, I also felt like, yeah, that open society is not so bad because of course, in, in many other cultures, we, we still have to fight for, for women emancipation or, um, whatever. And, um, mm. but, but, you know, looking back also, we have to still work on that every day. And, um, mm. so when, when, when you're young, you think the world is only getting better when you grow older. And then suddenly there's this sort of point that you think, oh no, my God, we have to fight for these things every day. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not that obvious that what we gained that we uh, that we that we have it then we still have that we can lose it mm, absolutely yeah that's so interesting you mentioned asia and i'm going to come back to that in just a moment i thought maybe i might skip to the practice that you run which is called tonic uh, and you mm. co-founded that with your partner in life and work. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about the kind of work that you do at Tonic and maybe your philosophy surrounding that. Yeah, well, t 
Tonic. Um, tonic, to, tonic is an abbreviation of our first name. So Thomas Toe is from Thomas and, and Nick is from me. So we we started the company 25 years ago, I guess already. Um, well, after high, after art school, because I met Thomas in the Vondel Park in Amsterdam, and um, um, he um, he was seducing me by saying that he was making a film about real love. And I was like, whoa, what's this? I'm not very interested in that. But somehow we, we ended up talking about typography. And I was saying, what do you know about typography? You know, and then, and then he was uh, uh, doing art school in Amsterdam, the Rietveld Academy in, in his last year. And I was doing in Utrecht uh, the last year. So we were both in, in the same field. Um, uh, he, he studied philosophy for 10 years before that. You know, you can't imagine that that's still possible. Um, but back then that was possible. And um, so, um, yeah, after the art academy, we started to work. We did, we worked for, we did our own jobs. And well, there's this wonderful system in the Netherlands that um, starters can get um, a scholarship uh, for a year, which is a, a certain, it's a, it's a good amount of money to live from, to explore and experiment and find your own style or your own, you know, language or whatever. Um, and uh, so we both got this scholarship and so we could live. And then at the same time, we experimented and made really a lot of things for our um, artist friends like like catalogs and books or invitations for exhibitions and so there were non non-paid jobs but that was that was the way we could start our sort of output and our vision in 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 our uh, profession and in that time we very much reacted on uh, on the postmodern postmodernism environment i remember there was the time that on all the, the posters and in books, uh, uh, designers used thousands of typefaces and images, and it was a it was a mess of you know it was not very, but it was very expressive and free. It was like David Carson, Dunbar, and they were our heroes. And at the same time, uh, when you're young, you have to uh, resist yourself. You know, you have to find your own your own language or your own vision. So we, we went back to sort of modernism, where also a, a huge hero, Wim, Wim Krauwel, uh, was a sort of a, a person who was in modernism. And, and, you know, with his grits and a very direct language, clear messages. And, um, and so, yeah, the, this, this approach, very conceptual and clear and direct, using only one typeface, using only bright colors. So that were the very conceptual approach. That was the beginning of our practice. So, um, yeah, long story. Uh, what kind of work do we do? Um, at the moment, we are a studio with 15 people. Uh, with, I think after five or six years working together, we started to, to a studio. And then slowly people came in. Um, and then I think we've always been around 15, 10, 15 people with interns. And that's a sort of a size we, which really fits us. 
um, and we collaborate with them. And it's, uh, it's great because they're always young people, um, often from different cultures around the world. And, uh, and they are very much, uh, at the moment, if of course so many things changed compared to uh, the start, they are, um, yeah, of course, digital natives and they're so good in using all those tools and techniques. Um, yeah, we make um, visual identities, communication campaigns for, for institutions and, and uh, organizations, a lot in culture, um, but also for broadcast corporations or festivals or museums and startups. We like to work with them. I might hone in on the projects in Asia because that's where many of our listeners are. Um, there's, I mean, obviously you're working internationally, but just a few of the identities that you've created for events and institutions in Asia would be the Urbanism and Architecture by City Biennale in Shenzhen, the Nanjing Youth Festival, uh, the Spiral Arts Centre in Tokyo, Hyundai Department Store in Seoul, the Power Station of Art in Shanghai, plus... M plus in Hong Kong, and I'm sure the list is even longer. Um, could you tell us maybe, I don't know, like a little bit about some of those experiences or maybe even how you navigate working across those cultures and even just the time zones? <laughs> Ooh, the time zones. Yeah, well, that's quite easy. I mean, that's how we do it now. Huh? You're at night and I'm in the morning, so it's just yeah. planning. But um, no, th those, those experiences are just great. I just uh, have to say, I mean, exchanging cultures and sharing values and learning from each other uh, makes us rich. You know, it's, it's uh, so we've always loved to travel, to, to meet people, to reach out to other cultures and learn from them. Um, and well, Asia is very special. I don't know why, but it's very special to us. Maybe my mom, my mom, she was born in Indonesia. So um, uh, I always f felt, you know, I feel really much at home in Asia, but we never worked in Indonesia, by the way. So that's maybe strange, but in, in um, yeah, we, we, we went to China in, in 2008. We had our first uh, big uh, exhibition in Shanghai, in the Shanghai Art Museum. And that's where, where it all started. Um, yeah, it was in, I remember it was in 2006 or something. There was this uh, China Contemporary. It was in Rotterdam. There were three major exhibitions on Chinese design and architecture. And they were in three different museums in Rotterdam. And um, we did, by the time back then, we did the communication and we designed the catalog. And we met many talented Chinese designers from fashion designers, uh, also now very famous, like Zhang Da or graphic designer Shishi and many others. And, and we felt immediately a sort of a kinship with them. And then two years later, uh, Gong Yen, and she's the present director of the Power Station of Art in Shanghai. She came to the Netherlands and she was interested in our studio. And then she decided to curate a solo exhibition of our work. Um, and the title was Power. Um, and it referred to the graphic power of our graphic language, I guess, because, well, our, 
our language, our graphic, we're, we're very, we're making really graphic, graphic product productions. It's very, uh, like our country, very direct and uh, straightforward. And, um, and by the time we worked for a political party, the, the Socialist Party, and uh, so that power, the, the title of that exhibition referred to that and also to the Socialist Party, it was also part of the exhibition and the empowerment we gave to our clients. Um, uh, yeah, we made an installation of 16 woolen carpets uh, because it was such a huge, we went to Shanghai and uh, we saw the, the venue, it was so huge and we couldn't see that there, that there were two big uh, rooms and hanging a couple of posters would not fit the space. So we decided to make these woolen carpets which were huge, they are three to six meter from our work. and um, and and. It was a nice thing to do because normally, you know, our work is for for the streets outside a poster or or when you drive in the in the public domain, you see all those signs and symbols as if from design from graphic designers communication. You have to be uh, very uh, you have to be very quick in you know when when you drive you pass by a poster, the message should attract the attention immediately and and in a museum it's of course a completely different context um, so that's why we we didn't want to hang the posters there we also did did some posters but the woolen carpets made made our work softer and warmer and closer to the visitor so um yeah and yeah that so they, they they looked really rich and and royal and on the other hand they are also nomadic so you can roll them up and bring them to another venue and that's what happened so after that exhibition that the carpets traveled through venice the biennale and to uh tokyo and to paris and also in the netherlands there were exhibitions so from that exhibition there was the first one in china we got clients in in china and I remember, you know, when you go to China, in the Netherlands is so small, and when you go to China, some, some, immediately everything is huge and big, and also so many people came. And we were, I remember the kids, because we had, um, we won in the Rotterdam Design uh, Award with our work for the Socialist Party in 2008 and then we decided to go with the whole studio to Shanghai to that exhibition to use that money for that so we it was a it was a, a trip with the whole studio and our kids came with us they were small six and eight or ten and I remember I was back unwrapping the catalogs from the plastic at the opening and then my son came run to me and he said mom there are thousands of people in the front of the museum. And I was like, oh my God, how is that possible? And then we came to the front and indeed the stairs were packed with, with young people. And we were so like, wow, this is so cool. And then also the whole opening with the Chinese uh, officials, they knew everything about our work and about also the, the context they, and, and the openings, they take hours because you know, with the microphones and very official, the, the, the 
ambassador, the director, you know, many people involved. And they speak for a while and everything has to be translated as well. So the, the opening took very long. And, uh, but they, they were so um, interested and they, they knew about the Dutch culture, about the European culture. And, and we felt it was, a, it was a real exchange in that sense. And, and um, yeah, it was a, a very interesting and, and nice experience to, uh, and then the people had to wear little, uh, how do you say that, when you have to put something on your shoes, because the director said, and now people make trembling the power, because they walked on the woolen carpets. Um, oh, well, anyway. okay. <laughs> yeah. That's quite sweet. <laughs> I might ask you next about Hong Kong, actually. I'm quite curious, given that I have spent so much time in that city and that the M Plus Museum opened after I left. So I'm really curious to hear about your involvement and, and how you approached that project. I read a little bit about how, you know, you were sort of inspired by the colours of the city and I was really fascinated by that sort of approach. And, um, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you physically did that. Did you spend a lot of time in Hong Kong? Is that sort of a you know a fairly typical approach to a project, or was is it always very site specific? Well, we've been a couple of times in Hong Kong, yes, but we um, so we always when we got a new assignment, we always go there because we really want to engage with the the people. Um, it's it's a collaboration, of course, and we need to hear their ideas and ambitions and their what they want to aim with what we have to do. Um, so we went there a couple of times. We met um, Su Suhanya Raffel, the director of uh, M Plus and the whole team. And we walked because M Plus was not, it's a new building. It's a, it's a fantastic, mm. um, a beautiful building from uh, Herzog and Amaron. And, mm. and they have a wonderful collection. The SIG collection is part of their collection. And they really wanted to establish the museum as a new and important global museum of visual culture, where large diverse groups of people um, come and visit and, and be challenged to see the connections and the view of, of, of different pers perspectives of the world. Um, so we, uh, we, we walked on that site, we saw the building in progress. It's a massive building. Have you seen it already? Uh, I've seen images and I know the site, but I haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah, I haven't been to the physical space yet. So I'm really looking forward yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. It was such a shame. It was opened during COVID. So the international audience haven't seen it yet. Uh, but maybe perhaps it, it um, it's now opening. So we were the first, uh, last in November, we went there, one of the first uh, people from abroad who could see it. Um, because the restrictions are now, of course, um, a bit gone. Um, yeah, so, and then we started to think and work and we created um, a color palette. That's, yeah, the, the, that's what you uh, already said. We, but the color palette contains only mid-tone colors. So it's um, when you make um, a, a black and white photo from mid-tone colors, they are equally equally uh, fifty percent black, so they're all gray, and um, so they're 
mid-tone colors ranging from mid-gray to vibrant orange and cyan and and also purple and pink but for instance red is too dark and yellow is too light so that's why they are not in in this range of colors but the thing is that we wanted to reflect the hong kong urban fabric with those colors so gray high rises and also compared to the colorful con uh, communication of neon signs and uh, commercial communications because of course you, we all know the skyline of hong kong full of uh, full of neon and um and that's one where we wanted to refer to um it was also because it's a new museum and the director suhanya raffle she said until now we always used gray we 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 never because we asked what color you know what kind of color are you thinking of do you do you want to do you need color do you want color and she was like i don't know we always used gray because there was nothing until then and um so we had to add color and and that's where why we came up with this uh, mid-tone color concept um and well the color palette is is distinctive in that sense and but it's also flexible at the same time it has thousands of options uh, so it gives you extremely freedom to use the identity so you know you can it's we don't like when things are too fixed we always want to experiment uh, and and identities has have to develop further in time and when you fix things that makes it a bit hard but you also need a sort of um, a recognizability so that so at one in one hand the it's distinctive and flexible and it has freedom but it also belongs to one family so you really feel that it's one family those mid-tone colors and that that makes it a very recognizable identity and um yeah we could use the opening in the opening campaign for instance it was an explosion of colors so the colors were everywhere in the streets uh and and in the posters for exhibitions we we um we picked the mid-tone colors from the artworks so that the typography blends in with the art and then for the the and plus shop we could use the color combinations range from energetic to tasteful or even chic so it's all possible with our within this uh, system um and when we we yeah it was really nice because the the building is quite gray with um you know it's nice it's it's beautiful but but adding and that's what uh, the the M plus team said when we visited them is when the colors were added suddenly it came to life and uh, it gave it it literally gave the identity to the museum when when the colors came in the building and we were so proud and, not, and happy to hear that because you know color <laughs> does something to people I think yeah. it's a, it's an emotional thing and um, absolutely yeah and maybe on some subconscious level people can see that the color came from the city as well i wonder how you know people whether they're actually picking up on that but i really love that that's where the color palette was derived from i think that's just yeah such a lovely tribute to the city yeah well i do think that um i think it's important when you have a con an idea or a concept um and in the in this case it's the the color concept 
um, you people might not grasp it immediately, but somehow you have to feel it in another, like mm. you say, in another level. And I think maybe that's uh, that's nice because because um, we won the, the Design for Asia Award with this uh, project, and then one of the jurors he said that it was so Hong Kong, and that that made me really happy because you know. Of course, we want to make something what fits the context. We just don't want to make something what we like, but we're, we want people to, to be happy uh, with their identity because it's, it's uh, when you give a name to someone or to somebody, it's also an identity. You be, it becomes some, something or somebody. And um, well, in, in this sense, we, are, um, we were really happy that everybody was so enthusiastic. And and also what we we are so what is really nice, adding to this, is that the facade of the building it's huge and it's in the cultural, um, it's in the West Kowloon side of Hong Kong, it's the new mm. cultural district, and when you are standing on the Hong Kong side, you see the the screen which is huge, and so the facade is made of um, uh, ceramic tiles. They're beautiful. But the tiles ha uh, have also LED lights, so that's why the screen it's able to show motions and films and everything on that screen. And mm. the museum decided not to use it for commercial communication, but only for um, pieces of art. And uh, and that's so nice. So when you're standing on the Hong Kong side, you see artwork in front of you instead of commercial <laughs> communication. And uh, and mm. and it started also and all the uh, with our motion designs for the with the color scheme and the M plus which is moving, so uh, it was just great to see that when we were there. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. Well, I have yeah. just one more question for you. I'm going to go back to something that you mentioned actually in your answer to my first question, which was I think you mentioned intuition when you were sort of deciding what it was that you wanted to study and the career path that you wanted to follow. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, whether you still feel intuition is or plays a role in how you work, whether, it, you know, how it pl uh, plays out amongst your team. Uh, and maybe also in the relationships with your clients, you know, and, and maybe that goes hand in hand with in, with trust. But if you could perhaps talk a little bit about that, I'd you know, be keen to hear your thoughts. Mm, yeah, trust and intuition, I think they belong together. <laughs> You're right. Uh, I think mm. they're both very essential. Um, well, intuition, I'm, I'm personally, I'm very intuitive person. Um, and yeah, I think it's important uh, within our team, within our work, with our clients. Uh, chemistry is, of course, important. It's it's very mm. good when you feel you share the same values, and and that you're feeling inspired by by your surroundings, your team, the people you work with, and also the clients and projects. Um, because in 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 sort of this environment of trust, things become you know you can. You can use each other's expertises, and when you trust each other, you can give each other critique, which is maybe not critical, but more sort of inspire each other and and also dare to say when things um, when when you have to experiment a bit longer <laughs> or something like that, you know, <laughs> uh, mm. uh, fueling each other. 
So when there is an environment where trust is there, you can you can really collaborate and then and then projects become better, I'm sure. So I think that's both very essential. Um, and that's also why we have a lot of long term clients, um, because trust and is, is built, you know, when you work for a long time together, it's getting easier and, and, and it's nice. Of course, you have to stay critical always. But um, um, for instance, we work with Charles X. He's the director for from the Boymans van Beuningen Museum. And now there's this new depot in, in Rotterdam made by MVRDV Architects. It's, the, it's a fantastic open depot, um, huge building. And um, uh, we worked with him for 15 or 16 years, and now he just retired. But um, working with him and his team for such a long time, we were able to make uh, yeah wonderful work and um, wonderful projects. So, um, and also for the city of Amsterdam, for instance, we worked for 20 years. So I think mm. things become really consistent and recognizable and, uh, and exciting because we keep on experimenting when you trust each other and when you feel that that there is a place uh, that you can do that and an open structure i think also in at tonic we have a an open structure we're always open for dialogue and um, there's no hierarchy in the studio we have no departments or um, you know it's it's uh, everybody's is working uh, in different roles. Sometimes you step in different roles also. Sometimes we work in each other's work and it's about collaborating. Like uh, it's, it's always a team effort. And I think that's only possible when you really trust each other, each other and see each other's qualities. Well said. Clients come in and they also talk about uh, other projects. Sometimes we just even show them. For instance, we had a um, a client in Shenzhen and we working for them making a, a new identity and then suddenly a client from Shanghai came in and we asked him uh, if he could understand what we were doing so we often <sighs> test to other people <laughs> our things and mm. then um, the the project was declined by the client in Shenzhen and then he came a couple of months later, he said, hmm, I remember that thing you made for the client in Shenzhen. Can we uh, can we do something like that? You know, so oh, wow. um, that that's also funny. I mean, it's so yeah. there is this open there's open dialogue. That's such a great answer. Thank you so much, Nikki. It's uh, I feel like I could sit here and talk to you for hours, but I better let you get back to it. But so thank you so much for your time this morning for you and this evening for me. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.